0: Tracy alluded to, we, uh, we had a power surge that apparently came from Eversource at the first service, so while I was preaching, all of a sudden we had loud pops, the lights went off in the lobby, it was rather dramatic, so uh, as I told that service, if anyone needed to repent, you needed to get to it, because you just don't know what can be happening. So, uh, Do any of you have any photos of people you like, perhaps of someone who means a great deal to you. Anybody have any photos? If you pull out your phone right now, if you have your phone with you, if you were to look in your phone and look at your photos, who is there? Family, right? A lot of family. For those of you who are watching at home, if you're reconnected, um, if you look around your home, can you see pictures on a wall or on display or on a counter? And again, who's in those photos? Uh, in our house, we have photos of our parents, our, our grandparents, our sons. Uh, and well, from the time I was a baby, uh, my dad, who liked taking pictures of us, would take pictures of my two older sisters and of me, and, and every year, uh, kind of like in a, a draft, we look through the photos, and with my father's guidance, because he had to approve of the photo. Um, We would pick our picture for the year, and that would be blown up to an 8x10 that was put on the mantle over the fireplace, and it would be there for a year. And then a year later, we'd go through the same process again, and uh, and it was really something. If you look at the albums that we have, uh, you know, the first photo in my album is of me in the sink at our cottage in Ocean Park, Maine, uh, apparently having a bath. I don't think I just climbed in there on my own, but... um, and the last one is me with my mother and I've got my American Legion baseball jersey on and you know I'm a young man towering over my mom. And so those photo albums show the growth and the transformation in our lives from the time that we were a baby to young adulthood. Uh, why do we like pictures? Why do we like having photos? For many reasons, but perhaps I think one of the greatest reasons is because they help us to remember They help us to remember and recall people and events and places that are significant for us that we otherwise just couldn't recall in the same way and in the same detail. And depending on what type of phone you have, I mean, my phone, which is smarter than I am, will send me memories. Do any of you have that happen? You get memories in your phone and like pictures pop up of things that happened five years ago. And I look at that and go, oh, yeah, I remember that now. I wouldn't have remembered it if they didn't send me the pictures that I took myself. It's just amazing to me. And one of the ones that came up for me just recently were photos from October, from when Jill and I went to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, a place I love to visit and, of course, the site of one of the most significant battles of the American Civil War in 1863. And, you know, in the Civil War, one of the changes, the technological advances that happened was the use of Photography. And Matthew Brady is probably the best-known Civil War photographer, but there were others as well. And Brady's photos of the dead at battlefields like Gettysburg and elsewhere brought in a graphic, stark way the horrors and cost of war into the home of every American who got a newspaper and saw those photos. And it was also in the Civil War when, for the first time, soldiers going off to war, brought photos of their loved ones with them. And their families, their wives, their parents and all, often had photos of that soldier in their home, prominently displayed. For many who have lost a loved one during a war, a picture of a man or a woman in uniform forever young still brings up tears from a well of emotion that never runs dry. And in the course of my ministry, I've visited a number of homes where such pictures are prominently displayed. When I was a young man and I was in seminary, the church that I was serving at, I went to visit one of the older women in our church. To me, she was really old. (laughs) Now I'm like, oh, she's probably like 10 years older than I am now or something. But um, But I went to visit a woman, and I noticed right in her living room, she had this photo of this handsome young man in a uniform. And I had a suspicion, but I asked, you know, who's this in the photo? And she said it was her son who was in the Army Air Corps during World War II and that he had been killed when his plane had been shot down. And more than 40 years later, She could barely get those few words out before her eyes filled with tears and her voice choked with emotion. And she said, one of my friends told me, God must have needed for him to do something for him in heaven, so that's why he took him. And then she began to cry from a place deep inside her memory and her loss. And I know her friend may have been trying to be helpful, but what she said, you know, it implied that God would take someone from us because God needed them more than we did, which I don't think is necessarily true. And whenever we speak about God, it's a reminder we need to be cautious and careful and humble because those words carry so much weight. This woman may have held on to her friend's statement for more than 40 years as a way to try to cope with her loss. But the impact of that was for over 40 years. She was carrying around a picture of God as unself as selfish, a God who was uncaring. A God who plucks loved ones away on a whim whenever God wants or needs them, regardless of the pain it causes those left behind. And friends, this is not a clear picture or an accurate picture of God. Now, all of us who take or who see pictures know that even with digital photography, some photos you know come out clear and sharp and in focus and centered In my experience, those are usually someone else's photos, not mine. Some pictures are out of focus. You get a lovely shot of your fingertip or your thumb. That's usually mine. And it's also, you know, you have someone who's got their eyes closed and it's some big moment and so one person takes out their phone. So five other people take out their phones too. So then you look at your photo and everyone's head and eyes are looking at a different spot. One at a time. Come on, get it right. Drives me up the wall. But often as a result, I mean, the good news with your phone or with digital photography is you just look at it, delete, 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 and you can just drop them all. doesn't hurt you anything. doesn't cost you anything. In the old days, some of us are old enough to remember when you had to actually go get pictures developed. You Remember that? And then you get the pictures and you look at them, you're like, oh, throw out the ones that weren't any good. Well, I think many people have mental pictures of God that should be deleted or should be tossed in the garbage because those pictures are distorted or they're out of focus because someone hit the button at the wrong time. And what they think about God is not, in fact, what God is like at all. And even at our best, our picture of God is not Crystal clear. Okay, The Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. He tells us our picture of God is still fuzzy on this side of heaven. It's not in high definition. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly or darkly, depending on your translation, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. There are many pictures of God in the Bible. And today I want to share one from Zephaniah chapter 3. And this chapter presents a picture of God that captures some of God's distinguishing characteristics. Just like photos of us, right? You see someone's distinguishing characteristics. But the good news is, God's key features, unlike ours, do not diminish over time. They don't change. You can count on them being the same. And Zephaniah's ministry took place during the reign of King Josiah. For those of you who have been journeying with us through the Bible, you've heard this a number of times or a number of prophets during the time of King Josiah, who was the one who sought to return people to full, holy, obedient worship of God getting back to the teachings that Moses had given and commanded. And because the first two chapters are loaded, as Tracy alluded to, with judgment and look out, you guys have sinned, you've messed up again, Uh, we think that Zephaniah prophesied before King Josiah's reforms in 621, so probably in the decade right before that. If you're interested in those reforms at a later time, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 23 and read a little bit more about it. But in Zephaniah 3, in verses 14 to 20, it tells us about the Lord, and these are hopeful verses, and they give hope to those who are seeking to remain humble and faithful. So listen closely as I share this passage with you this morning. Listen to all the things that the Lord promises to do on behalf of the people. It's really an amazing list. Zephaniah chapter 3, starting with verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day... It shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing, as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time and I will save the lame and I will gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home at the time when I gather you for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is good news for all of us. So let's just take a brief look at this picture of God this morning. Zephaniah says, and I'm going to share those four things. First, that The Lord is in your midst and is like a warrior who gives victory. The Lord is mighty to save. God is so mighty and so powerful, able to do so much. Did you hear all those things that God promises to do? And my Bible, I've got them all underlined. And it's like I basically just underlined the whole passage because there's so much. God will take away the judgments against you, God will rejoice, renew, exalt, remove, deal, save, gather, change, bring you home, make you renowned, restore your fortunes. It's amazing. It's an amazing list. You've got to be pretty powerful to promise to be able to do all those things. Now, for those of us who are, like sports a little bit, one of the things about sports is it's nice when a game is competitive, right? It's not nearly as fun if you go into a game and you feel like, wow, the other team is just totally stacked. We don't have a chance. But in the game of life, it's nice to be on God's side because you know God's team is ultimately going to win. There's a saying about a well-known football coach that he could beat your team with his guys and he could beat his own guys with yours. That's a sign of a good coach, right? Well, that's kind of like what God's like. He's going he's gonna to win no matter what. And we hope in a God who has power to save us even to save us from the power of sin and death. That is mighty. Now, if I asked you to think of something powerful, like what comes to mind? If they think of something powerful, and you know, someone might say, well, a hurricane is powerful. Someone might say, an aircraft carrier is powerful. A, a young mom said that a, tri- a toddler who's resisting getting into a car seat is very powerful powerful it's very true they develop x-men superpowers and lose all their bones and they just kind of like you know go all de jelly on you if you've ever tried to put a child or a grandchild in a car seat you know what that is that's tough but no matter what you think of as powerful it can't even remotely compare to the power of god who made the whole universe there's just no comparison. And Zephaniah says God is like a just and mighty warrior dressed for battle, committing to rescuing and saving God's people from danger. The second thing that Zephaniah focuses on in this picture of God is the Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. The Lord will take great delight in you. I hope you have someone in your life who takes great delight in you, someone who is always glad to see you. And for some of you, your answer to that may be, yes, I do, it's my dog. (laughs) Okay, but, but I hope there's somebody. It could be a pet, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, it could be a child, could be a parent. I hope there's someone who is glad to see you. And I hope you also bring gladness when you go to see some people, right? I know some of you, someone said, no one does unconditional love and gladness like a dog. I hear you, I hear you. But God does pretty well with it too. And the second thing we notice about Zephaniah's picture of God is just that God's gladness and joy at being in close relationship with you and with me. Now, how many of you have pictures of like loved ones on your phone? And do you, any of you, anyone, am I the only one with a picture of like family members? Now, let me ask you a question. The pictures you have of loved ones or family or friends on your phone, um, what do the people look like in the pictures that you've kept? Do they look really angry and mad and upset? No. Who would save those, right? Everyone saves pictures where people are what? They're glad, they're happy, they're smiling, right? Right? Now, have you ever thought about the fact that God has got a smartphone with like photos of seven billion people? I mean, imagine how long it takes God to scroll through that. Must be unbelievable. Sure, the technology is advanced. But that God looks at every person in the world and says, Boy, have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my son? She's so special, he's so incredible. You ever thought about God just strolling through heaven with an incredibly huge phone, with all these photos, calling angels over, saying, you got to see this. This is amazing. And part of why God is so angry and so hurt, so disappointed in the first couple chapters of Zephaniah is because that's the way God feels about people, and yet people don't return that feeling. They don't share that love. They haven't listened to, they haven't followed, they haven't drawn near to the Lord. And part of what Zephaniah says, part of the joy of this passage comes from the fact that God is going to set aside the judgment that the people deserve. It's been lifted, it's been taken away. It's like God has commuted the sentence. And they're given a second chance to live another day and to be engaged in a renewed relationship with God. This is really a similar picture that we see when Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 15 about a father who has two sons. And one goes away to a far country, the other one stayed at home, but truly both of their hearts were not right with their, with their, with their dad. They both needed some transformation, And the father in that story doesn't treat either son the way they deserve to be treated. He treats them with love and with grace and with mercy. And when the son who's been away in a far country finally comes home, he rejoices over him and throws a party. Because this son who was lost and is found, the son who was dead, is now alive. God is just so glad to have relationship restored. It's vitally important to grasp the idea that The Lord takes great delight in every single person who turns their life over to the Lord in ever greater obedience and faithfulness. God just is so happy with that. The third thing we notice in this picture of God, it says the Lord will renew you in his love or quiet you with his love. And this is the most difficult part of the verse to translate from the Hebrew. However, what clearly comes through is this sense of love and peace the hebrew translates as he will hold his peace in his love and i picture this it's like a parent embracing a child letting her tears flow and in this divine embrace when god is comforting us we calm down and our fear starts to go away And we have a sense of renewed confidence and security that comes from knowing you are deeply loved. And I think in all of us, there is a child who desires to know that, who desires to feel the love of God surrounding us in such a way that we know we're safe. And when you feel loved and safe in the Lord's embrace, your pulse rate starts to lower, your breathing deepens, and you know the peace that passes all understanding. Have you been there any times? You've had that sense of just calm and peace, knowing you're held by God? So Zephaniah's picture of God It's just so beautiful. The Lord is mighty and powerful and protects and saves. The Lord delights and takes gladness and rejoices in all of God's children. And God's peaceful, soothing love renews us and comforts us. And then there's a fourth aspect of this picture of God. And Zephaniah says the Lord will exalt or rejoice over you with loud singing. When was the last time someone exulted over you with loud singing? Has it been a while? Maybe on your birthday? Yeah. Birthday singing isn't always the best either, is it? At least it's not in my household. You know, Jill's family, you always sing. Even if you're not with someone, we make phone calls. If it's her brother, one of her brother's birthdays, we have to call and we have to sing happy birthday over the phone. And you know, no one's ever mistaken us for the Von Trapp family singer, so it's usually not pretty. But we do it anyway, because it's a tradition. But, but it's nice, you know, nice to have people sing to you. It doesn't happen very often. Nice to have people shout over you. Singing is one of the most inspiring aspects of worship as we lift our voices together to the Lord. But do you ever think about God rejoicing over you with singing? wonder what that sounds like. you ever thought of God serenading you just because God thinks you're so special? Singing to you? God trying to win your heart and your love? I mean, let's face it. Every single song ever written is about either falling in love, being in love, or the love you just lost. Right? I mean, that's what every single song is about. And God's singing to you about how much God loves you. You all know I like musicals. And then Fiddler on the Roof, many of you know that musical. You've seen it. You've heard it. You know this song. And as Tevye asked his wife, Gold, at one point, do you love me? Right? And how does she reply? Yeah. Do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cows. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Why? No, 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 no. The whole point, the whole point, is just how they go on to sing this duet about love, and they conclude, "Well, you know, after all we've shared, after all we've experienced, after all we've been through together." they decide I guess we do love each other after all and my point is for thousands of years and for your entire life God has been singing half of that duet to you do you do you love me? you know we wonder if God loves us and God says you know for 25 years I've done this I've done this I've done, I've done the other thing hoping that you will take up the song and sing of your love for God in return. I think one final aspect of Zephaniah's picture of God that's worth mentioning is how these various perspectives or angles on God appeal to different people. Some people relate to and appreciate the image of God as a mighty, saving warrior. Others appreciate the view of God Rejoicing over you with gladness and delighting in you. Some people like to meditate on God's peace and love and comfort. While others appreciate a God who sings over them with gusto. Depending on what's going on in your life today. Depending on what's going on in your life in a particular season of your life. You may find that one aspect of God's character appeals to you more than another. But they're all good. They're all important. And they're all helpful. God is a mighty warrior who gives victory. God is able and wants to save. God rejoices with gladness and delights over you. And God calms you with the Lord's peace and love. And God exalts over you with singing that's a god worth knowing that's a god worth loving and serving and that's a picture of god worth keeping in your phone on your heart in your mind and it's a picture of god worth sharing with people who are hurting and lonely and broken and frightened to tell them you know what There is a wonderful God who loves you more than you know. Let's pray. Wonderful God, we thank you for who you are and all you are and all you do. We thank you for how Jesus embodies these same qualities, that he is a mighty and powerful Savior who saves you from death and from sin, How Jesus delights in every single person he encounters. How he's gentle and humble in heart and how people find rest for their souls in his presence. And we thank you that Jesus gives us peace that the world cannot give. Lord, help us to keep this picture of you firmly fixed in our heart and our mind that it can encourage us and help us today and always. In your name we pray.